Welcome back to Let's Get Haunted with your hosts, Matt Strawn and Allie. Welcome back, guys, to episode 107 of Let's Get Haunted. Can you guys believe what we did last week for free? Three hours of a Reddit internet rabbit hole tinfoil hat mystery of a story i hope you guys enjoyed it we thought about splitting it into two parts and then i just as i was editing it i was like this is going to be too hard you know why it was going to be too hard though because i was telling Alyssa, i was like we definitely we need to split this into two parts because we were both talking about how tired we were and we were both like on the edge of death and I was like just make it two episodes so we can have a break and she was like so I'm just gonna release it all as one episode and I was like no like (laughs) it was like 11 p.m the night before it went live it went live at 6 a.m and I was like I can't I've edited it it's uploaded it's scheduled I get it. Good night, moon. I get it. Like, when you get stuck with an episode that you can't edit until Tuesday and you, like, basically start Tuesday at 6 p.m. and you're not done with it until, like, 2 a.m. And then you're just at that moment, you're just in zombie mode. You're like, it must go up at 6 a.m. If it doesn't go up at 6 a.m., then do we even have a podcast? Right. If the schedule means nothing, then what do I have? My life is meaningless. My word is meaningless. (laughs) All is lost, essentially. It's very much like the show must go on. Because I think also the algorithm punishes you if you don't upload at the same time every single week because it sees that as like, oh, we're not going to push something that's not like professional because therefore it's not going to be good content and like we need to make money. Like we all need to be our cog in the capitalist agenda. There needs to be some sort of like mysticism episode on the algorithm as a concept because Mm -hmm. I feel like the algorithm is so incapable of being understood that at this point it's just like its own sin being that arbitrarily chooses if it's going to punish you or like ignore you oh my god I just had a thought and I'm sure this is already a theory because it's not that original but God is like the algorithm because here's why when I was getting out of the car to walk over to the (laughs) office I was alerted with like some random story and I was reading it and it was saying that remember when Osama bin Laden was um like killed by the U.S. yeah that that happened like today five years ago or six years ago right that's probably why I was being shown this um and and so then like it had gone down in the afternoon and then by like 5 p.m the president was alerted that like it was most likely a success and then by 7 p.m they knew it was confirmed that Osama bin Laden had been killed and then at 11 35 p.m the president got on the live broadcast television and was like we killed Osama bin Laden but I guess like a few minutes before it became live breaking news, The Rock, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, <laughs> like spoiled it by tweeting out that we, what? that we, he like basically broke the news before the president. How could. would he have ever known that? Well, that's why I think that God's hands on. <laughs> God just like sent a messenger angel down to The Rock and was like, look, if anyone gets to announce this news, it has to be you. I mean, yeah. Well, I was reading the article and they were saying that they think perhaps he has a, um, like a, his cousin is a Navy SEAL. Oh, so I didn't know that. So maybe there's some sort of connection. And he didn't say, any, he didn't come out and say like Osama bin Laden was dead. He just said, I just learned some, you know, news that's going to shake the core of the American foundation. Like, I'm so proud to be an American right now. 
hell yeah or something okay but what if what he was actually talking about had nothing to do with osama bin laden and actually had to do with like him being in a new too fast too furious or something (laughs) and he's like i'm so proud to be an american can't wait to announce this new script i mean it could be that's plausible deniability right like he didn't come out and say that however i do think that god is hands-on and did plant that cousin of his in the navy seals so that that could happen okay i i really want to tell you this i read something about saddam hussein the other day on reddit did you know that he wrote like furry porn fanfic no that's not true it's true how could that possibly be true he wrote under a pen name and there's some book that he wrote about like having sex with a bear Is that furry or is that bestiality? I'm just saying furry because like it's more provocative, but it (laughs) could be bestiality. I don't know, but it's about like having sex with a bear. And apparently he was like really into erotica. You guys, if you think that this is accurate, Google it. Yeah, read. I I will. I need to. Google Literally as soon as, yeah, Google it, bring it up because I think everyone right now can't continue their day until we know the truth. And I Googled it and yes, Saddam Hussein penned an erotic novel involving bear sex. The story, which became required reading for Iraqi ch- uh, school children, what? <laughs> is believed to be an allegory for the United States invasion of Iraq. The book, available online in English for about $11, was a bestseller in Iraq and was even turned into a musical. Here's what I want to say about that. 20 years from now, are people going to pick up furry porn and be like, this is an allegory for, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, no, dude, sometimes it's just porn. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it is just porn. Sometimes there's no deeper meaning. And if you guys would like to follow us, you can do so by following at Let's Get Haunted on Instagram, or we have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash Let's Get Haunted. Our subreddit is r slash Let's Get Haunted. Our Twitter is at Let's Get Haunted, and our website is letsgethaunted.com. You can go to that website to either buy merch or make a donation. Speaking of donations, I would love to shout out our donors for this episode. I'd like to give a big shout out to Jennifer S., Minnie W., Alyssa G., Story S., and Elena. Special haunted shout out to Amber O., Phoenix C., Michaela S. and Haley T. And I would like to thank Emily M., Minnie W., Jennifer S., Lindsay L., Samantha P., Jessica J., Gentry B., and Gentry B. Again, thank you very much to all of you and Gentry. Really appreciate that. Very, very cool. All right, Natalia, are you ready to get into this week's episode? I am. I just want to say one thing for myself. This is just like a pure Natalia um, shout out moment. So you can skip like a minute ahead if you don't want to hear this. But I got a ad for a company called Glasses USA to run on my Instagram. Amazing. Yeah. And they're there. It's not that much money, um, but it's the only honest money I'll ever make in my life. <laughs> so I would really appreciate it when you guys see me do this ad on my Instagram in like you guys all like it and you're like, wow, oh my God, you're so I would are buy cool. that. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, because that is, like I said, that's the only honest money I'm ever gonna make in my life. So beautiful. Yes. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Are you ready to get into this week's episode? Yes, I am. Natalia. That's me. Today's story comes to us 
from my favorite time period ever in the history of the world. Oh my God. Is it? Wait, hold on. Let me think about it. It's got to be one. Is it Cold War? Yes. Okay. The Cold (laughs) War. And hopefully by now, everyone listening to our podcast is very familiar with the Cold War. But if not, here's the fastest TLDR of your life. I love this. The Cold War refers to a period of time between March 12, 1947 and December 26, 1991. This extremely long quote-unquote war was not characterized by direct fighting, but rather by an ongoing political rivalry between the United States and its allies and the Soviet Union and their allies following World War II. The name Cold War, this is a fun fact, the name Cold War was actually first assigned to this period of geopolitical tension by author George Orwell in an essay he wrote in 1945 and was then popularized by American journalist Walter Lippmann in 1947. For those wondering, according to Wikipedia, a Cold War refers to a state of conflict between nations that does not involve direct military action, but is pursued primarily through economic and political actions, propaganda, acts of espionage or proxy wars waged by surrogates. Natalia, is this period of history sounding familiar? Yeah, it sounds really, really familiar because I feel like we've talked about the Cold War so much and I've gotten so many TLDRs about the Cold War, but I still learn something new every time. Wow. Like George Orwell, he's the first person to apply that term to this period of history. He wrote an essay. It's based, It's kind of boring. He wrote an essay about like, hey, shit's going to hit the fan and there's going to be a Cold War. And then he was right. Yeah. You know, I kind of like, like, I always thought it was called the Cold War because we, it was people who were cold on the other side like yeah I think like of russia's the, pretty cold yeah exactly hats yeah and so i got by in life um but i didn't realize that it was like in terms of like a hot war would be like you know blitzkrieg like lightning like you lightning war like bombs going off fu- like fire yeah. right yeah this is a war that's happening that's like very like strategic yeah undercover. gathering intelligence yeah. Yes, exactly. I know. I agree. So, yeah. This is like when you're in a relationship with someone, it's like always kind of a cold <laughs> war, right? <laughs> a toxic relationship for sure. Gathering intelligence. Look, we've all dated someone where we were the United States and that person <laughs> and was Russia. the Soviet Union. <laughs> we've definitely all been there. Okay. So to keep this story cohesive, I have divided it up into five parts. We begin at the beginning of the Cold War with part one. Part one, the bloop. During the Cold War, the United States Navy began constructing an elaborate underwater grid of listening devices placed throughout the ocean floor. The purpose behind this endeavor was to be able to detect enemy submarines approaching American shores in both the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans. These underwater listening devices, or hydrophones, were officially named the Sound Surveillance System, or SOSIS. The implementation of the SOSIS was a top-secret operation that would only become declassified after the Cold War came to an end. Hydrophones were placed at strategic checkpoints where submarines leaving Soviet bases would have to pass through, the most important one being the ocean waters between Greenland, Iceland, and Scotland. When a hydrophone picked up the noise of a Soviet submarine piloting its way into or near American waters, 
the U.S. Navy would then send its own ships and submarines out to either greet and stop it or track it from a safe distance to see what it was up to. On December 26, 1991, when the Cold War officially came to an end, the SOSIS still remained operational but was no longer considered to be of use to the U.S. Navy. As such, the Navy contacted the United States Department of Commerce to see if they had any ideas for what to do with the underwater hydrophone grid. Eventually, it was decided that the regulatory agency known as the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, or NOAA, would acquire the SOSIS to use in their environmental research efforts. The NOAA was headed by an oceanographer named Christopher Fox, and he and his team soon put the SOSIS to good use, monitoring underwater seismic activity, oceanic weather patterns, and even sea life cataloging. The NOAA even expanded upon the SOSIS network, adding even more hydrophones in different areas all around the world. Natalia, I'd like to show you a short 37-second video uploaded to YouTube channel DIF0T0, which illustrates what the SOSIS hydrophones looked like. So you're telling me they bugged the ocean? Yes. Wow. Isn't that kind of haunted all on its own? Oh, super haunted. I mean, just the thought of like a submarine is already terrifying to my brain Horrifying. that doesn't understand how a ship goes underwater. And how you would possibly live and not run out of oxygen. Exactly. And then to think that you're in that one and then there's another one you don't know about just spying on you is like Ooh, super creepy. I hate that for us. Also, the bottom of the ocean is already very creepy. Yeah, that's that, haunted. Ugh. And then just thinking of these little microphones like strategically planted on the bottom of the ocean floor just swaying with the tides as you're trying to hide from the enemy it's yeah that's creepy i really don't like things like that So Alyssa just showed me like an infographic essentially of how this microphone works, which was really interesting. So in the infographic, it was showing like tectonic plates moving and there was like seismic waves happening and the microphone was picking those up and registering those differently than it was um, of like a ship coming by or even a whale had like a different wavelength. So uh, it was basically just showing how it's not like this thing just picks up sounds. It's like sonar, right? So it's picking up different wavelengths and it's able to like through whatever computer mechanism or something be able to tell the difference between all these sounds based on data. Totally. Rather than just like the sound of a sound. Exactly. So if you guys want to see this 37 second infographic video, you can go to at Let's Get Haunted on Instagram to follow along with us. But what Natalia just said is 100% accurate. Basically, these hydrophones are sort of moored to the bottom of the ocean, but they stick up pretty far, right? Like, Yeah, it's just kind of like below the surface, basically. I don't know how many meters it said. It was like 50 meters or something. Below I the... believe it said it, it can be anywhere between 500 meters. And... Oh, so it's really deep. Yeah, you guys will see when you go look at this infographic, but the hydrophone is split into two sections. The bottom is the mooring section, and it also has a sensor down there to detect, like Natalia said, tectonic plates moving. Yeah. Um, And then when you go a little bit higher, you get to the top section. The bottom of the top section in this diagram is at 1,000 meters. And then the top of the top section is at 500 meters. Oh, my God. What lives 
down that deep. That is too scary. To Just me. think of all the noises you would be hearing. And I mean, submarines are fucking creepy, like you said. But now the Cold War is behind us. In theory, there shouldn't be any submarines down there. It's not for me. There. I'm having PTSD. I wasn't there and I'm already freaking out already nervous and uncomfortable <laughs> right yes so these hydrophones were already made for a haunted reason yeah because there was this weird paranoid cold war going on right. where like we're not directly fighting someone so it's already made for a haunted reason then when the cold war ends the navy's like we just invested so much money we don't necessarily want to just throw them away I mean, we can probably use them for something. This is really sensitive sound meters, right? So they look within the government and try to figure out, is there any department in the government that can utilize this really sophisticated system? And they settle upon this group of oceanographers doing environmental research. Well, we have that in our military? Well, not the military. In the the United States Department of Commerce, there is a regulatory agency within that department called the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, or NOAA. So that's who eventually was decided would get control of these hydrophones. Okay, wow. So like I said, the director of the NOAA at the time was Christopher Fox. And as the years passed, Fox and his team became familiar with many routine underwater noises, including the sounds of large ships passing through, oceanic seismic activity, and hauntingly beautiful whale songs. The sounds and data collected from the hydrophone network were interesting and useful for environmental study, but there was certainly nothing unusual or groundbreaking gleaned from their recordings. Then, one day in 1997, everything would change when a strange, unidentified noise was caught on two different hydrophones over 3,000 miles apart from each other. At the same time? At the same time. The exact date of the event is either unknown or perhaps simply has not yet been released to the public. But what is known is that a noise, unbelievably loud and bizarre, was recorded by the NOAA on the hydrophone network. At 180 decibels, the sound's location was roughly tracked to 50 degrees south, 100 degrees west, a remote point in the South Pacific Ocean, west of the southern tip of South America, and just north of Antarctica. According to the sound's description by the NOAA, the sound rose in frequency over about one minute and was of sufficient amplitude to be heard on multiple sensors at a range of over 5,000 kilometers or 3,000 miles apart from each other. Natalia, here is a picture of where approximately the sound was thought to have originated from. Oh, yeah. Okay, so this is showing me a map, and it has where the sound was mapped out. And it, okay, yeah, so like she said, it's uh, a little bit west of Argentina area. Yeah, it's kind of like close-ish to Antarctica and close-ish to Argentina. But I say close-ish because it's not really close to anything. It looks like it's in like literally the middle of nowhere. And then those are the two closest land masses. Like Natalia said, the point, if you're looking, if you're picturing like a stereotypical map that you would see in school of the world, like a flat map, not a 3D map, it's going to be to the left of Argentina and Chile 
and north of Antarctica. But when you look at this point, if you go on Google Maps and type it in, type in these coordinates to Google Maps, it takes a really long time before you can see anything. You have to keep zooming out, zooming out, zooming out, zooming out. And then finally, you can see, oh, okay, it's to the left of Chile and north of Antarctica. So it really is in the middle of nowhere. None of the scientists who listened to the recording had any idea of what it could be. And it was soon nicknamed the bloop. Natalia, I'm going to play this sound for you now. That was a banger. Play it again. Yeah. Um, that sounds like, to me, like some sort of warped carnival song. It sounds... Right? But yeah. it's, like, been put through a bunch of filters. There's something about it that has a melody. I was expecting... Because at first, it kind of sounds like a whale song. But there's definitely, like, some sort of melody musical aspect to it. It sounds, to me, it just sounds like a haunted mechanical nightmare. Like you're underwater. If I was underwater, like, I don't know, snorkeling, and then I heard that noise, nothing would get me out of the ocean faster. I want to know what a different sound sounds like picked up by that. Well, we're going to talk about what some of the theories scientists had for this sound based on sounds that they had already heard. So scientists and ocean experts quickly raced to offer logical theories for what this sound could have been. Of course they did, you boring-ass pussies. Skeptic theories ranged from an underwater earthquake to a volcanic eruption to ice chunks breaking off the side of a glacier to two large icebergs rubbing together to a cryosism, also known as an ice quake. Okay, but when a glacier rubs with another glacier, is it like... Wow. 
no it's like yeah (laughs) right despite all of these scientific theories none of them could definitively explain what exactly the bloop was the sounds of volcanic eruptions and earthquakes are at a much lower pitch than what the bloop was recorded at which effectively rules that out Mm -hmm. as a theory The pitch of iceberg-related natural phenomena, such as an iceberg rubbing against the seafloor as it breaks off a glacier, is closer to the bloop, but still not quite right. Scientists hoped they would eventually be able to hear a replica or repeat of the bloop so that they would have more data to analyze. But as the years kept coming and they didn't stop coming, still no sound even close to the bloop was ever picked up on any of the hydrophones ever again. As time passed with no satisfying answers, speculation of the bloop shifted from ice fracturing to a possible undiscovered animal living in the deepest depths of the sea. Even Christopher Fox, head of the NOAA, told journalist David Woolman in an interview for the publication New Scientist that he believes the sound to be biological in nature. But in order to generate a sound this loud, the animal would have to be enormous. The largest animal on Earth, the blue whale, is capable of transmitting sound up to about 500 miles at most. Meanwhile, the bloop was heard on two hydrophones that were 3,000 miles apart. Meaning that if the bloop was a product of a biological entity, that entity would have to be around six times larger than the largest animal known to be living on Earth today. So it's a giant cryptid that lives in the super cold waters of the Antarctic. We're not ruling it out, right? Yeah. Part two, the black carpet. We have now reached the point in our story where the internet takes over. That's right, the internet, and it's many public forums where conspiracy theorists and experts alike are able to converse, swap theories, and just generally weigh in on many of Earth's mysteries. And where do the best, most insane stories seem to always come out of? 4chan? 4chan. For the uninitiated, 4chan is an anonymous message board made up of many boards for specific topics. According to 4chan's own FAQ section, quote, different boards are dedicated to different topics, from Japanese anime, manga, and culture to video games, music, and photography. Users do not need to register for an account in order to post. Boards are usually given very short names, sometimes just a letter or number, such as B, which is the random board, Mm -hmm. and E, (laughs) which is the hentai board. In early 2020, an anonymous user began posting to X, the paranormal board. The user claimed to be a deep sea diver with many decades of experience. During his time diving, he made friends with many other deep sea divers, both commercial divers and hobby divers. During diving outings together and spending many days on the high seas for work, it was common for everyone to start swapping their best diving stories at the end of each night before bed. They soon realized that many of them had experienced the exact same phenomena, and Diver Anon, as the user would come to be known, decided to compile these stories from many, many divers and post them to 4chan's paranormal board. Natalia, I will now be reading you some of these stories. Oh, good. 
So do you want to just quickly recap that for people who don't understand 4chan? Yeah. So I I don't really spend as much time on 4chan anymore because uh, I now have like a family and a responsibility and like we're trying to do this podcast. So I can't like, <laughs> just piss all of my time away on there. But I used to spend a lot, a lot of time on 4chan and 4chan is just a huge meme lord like. Uh, just basic like fuck fest I don't even know what I don't like it's really hard to describe it to someone who hasn't been on there and a lot of people will like say that, oh you know 4chan is racist and it's all of this and stuff definitely there are some things on there that are really fucked up but there's also some stuff on there that's really really cool and really original and a lot of new, interesting ideas are born on there. And I spent a lot of time myself on the fashion board, which was F.A. So you would, like, post pictures of your outfit and be like, M-I-F-A, like E-F-F-A-Y. Mm-hmm. And it was just, like, very fun to roast people. Like, your outfit sucks, but just, like, in very colorful words. Or, like, your outfit's amazing. I want to fuck you. Even if you didn't. Like, that. those were the only two moods because it was basically, like, this board is just a bunch of people who understand internet culture and we're like all joke but there's also people on there that I don't think are joking and it's it's hard to tell who's who and and it's just a crazy it's like being at a party where like half of the people there are like trolls trolls yeah exactly Mm -hmm. as someone who like doesn't use 4chan but uses reddit for me looking at 4chan is very confusing i feel like it's it's easy to get lost there it's not well organized in my opinion like on reddit you have subreddits and then you go to the subreddit and there will be like a clear thread that you can click on and view comments and like thumbs up or thumbs down 4chan is a free-for-all in my opinion it's like you log in there and you're like i don't even know how to access a board yeah yeah you just like go to their website and you're like how the fuck what what is slash e slash oh shit here's like hentai i I don't want to look at that i wanted to look at dogs and then it's like it's very hard and then when you do eventually figure out how to find a thread reading the everything is like the same color so it's hard to follow especially because everyone's commenting anonymously usually so it's hard to follow like who's who and you kind of have to look at context clues it's an art form I feel like no it is for sure it's an art form it's a language and it's a skill to be able to navigate 4chan and also participate yes (laughs) yeah and be accepted yeah and I want to put that on my resume and no one seems to understand that that is a qualified skill yes that is impressive So basically what I'm telling you guys is that in early 2020, someone began posting to the paranormal board X. Okay. And as we just said, most people, I would say like 99% of people are posting anonymously. You can like in the little box when you're going to post something, you can enter a username if you want, but it's not like logging in. You know, it's just like, it's almost like a signature. Most people will leave it blank and then it just says anonymous. Yeah. So this user starts posting to X and people start calling this user Diver Anon because it's an anonymous poster posting about deep sea diving. Now I'm going to read you some of the stories that Diver Anon shared on X. On Sunday, May 24th, 2020, a thread was started in X regarding the bloop. An anonymous user wrote the following. The bloop was an ultra-low-frequency underwater sound recorded by NOAA in 1997. 
It was unlike any other sounds ever recorded underwater, due to its frequency and the fact that it was recorded by other sensors thousands of miles from where its estimated source was. It is consistent with other marine animal noises due to its rapidly changing frequency, but it would be an animal many times larger than the blue whale, the largest animal to ever exist. The consensus by most scientists is that it was caused by geological activity. A conversation was then started in the thread between many anonymous users linking out to the same YouTube video of the bloop that we just listened to and debating what the sound could have been caused by. Finally, the user who would come to be known as Diver Anon entered the chat, writing, Oh, that's the black carpet. A bit of an urban legend amongst deep sea divers. I've heard about this thing a couple times from coworkers and buddies. I don't remember the details of the full story right now, to be honest. But I'll talk to my buddy sometime soon and see if he remembers and then post him on here. But the basic gist that I can remember is that this thing is some sort of colony organism, like a giant moving coral. It's a giant black carpet of macrobiotic cells that crawls all over the ocean floor, sifting through nutrients with millions of tiny feelers. Nobody has ever gotten a good estimate of the size other than, quote, it's big and apparently it makes a noise similar to this bloop thing. One guy apparently saw it swimming slash riding the currents as well, so it does more than just crawl on the ocean floor. I suppose you could call it a one-of-a-kind organism, but I'm not sure if that applies to colony organisms like this. It shares many similarities to a jellyfish. One story I heard had a diver getting stung by some sort of large feeler strand that apparently hangs off the top of the thing, similar to a jellyfish. There was this really old retired diver I talked to who claimed to have seen it. He claimed to have seen an entire decomposing sperm whale being consumed by this black carpet. I should really make a post compiling all the stories I've heard about this thing. As the threat increased in popularity, more and more commenters began encouraging Diver Anon to talk to his diving friends some more, and talk to his co-workers some more, and return with more information. A few hours later, Diver Anon did just that, writing, So I talked to my buddy and I'm going to start writing up some of the stories I've heard about the black carpet. This is the first story I heard of it, from some Finnish bloke with a strong accent. He was doing a deep-sea dive, repairing some sort of cable. I assume it was probably fiber optic. As he told it, initially he thought he was in the wrong spot because he just couldn't find the cable anywhere. He starts searching and eventually finds one end. Just the one. Sheared clean through. He gets his dive buddy to stay with that end of the line while he goes looking for the other end, swimming in a straight line in the direction of the other line. In his estimation, he swam about half a mile before he found the other end of the line. He stressed to me that the entire half a mile middle section of the line was just completely gone. It was a huge deal and everyone thought it was the Russians, but this guy was sure that this carpet thing had done it. Said he heard the noise it apparently makes as he was swimming, even though he never saw it. The next story is from my buddy, 
He heard it from a guy who heard it from a guy, so take it with a grain of salt. This guy is doing a dive. Depth, location, what he was doing never got specified. Just that he was really deep. He starts hearing this odd noise that gets associated with the carpet a lot. The way he described it was really similar to that video of the bloop. Low pitch, sort of like a super creepy, distorted whale song, kind of mechanical. As he gets closer, he hears this almost static, crackling noise as well. The way he described it was like a million prawns getting cracked open at once. Ew. As he gets closer to the bottom, the noises are getting louder and louder. At this point, he was thinking that he's hearing some sort of sonar from a submarine and that some jackass submarine crew is playing a joke on him. When the guy gets to the bottom, he shines his light around, trying to find whatever he's looking for. He then sees something moving and writhing. He shines his light closer, trying to make sense of it. He then realizes that the sea floor had literally come to life and was crawling past him. This is probably the best description of the carpet you're going to get. According to this guy, carpet is at least a mile long slash wide, made of these strange black feelers that apparently make the strange popping noise. Most of the top is covered in various sand, rocks, debris, with feelers poking through. Also, a few long transparent stalks, as he described them, that float upwards. Apparently, some of these stalks were like 20 feet long. According to the guy, this thing was singing, which doesn't make any fucking sense to me, but whatever, I'm just repeating what he said. Guy swam back up to the surface and claimed he had an equipment malfunction to his superior. Came back down a couple hours later and got there just in time to see the last of this thing disappear. Apparently, it stretched as far as his eye could see. Which I guess, to be fair, isn't that far at the bottom of the ocean, but still, pretty crazy. This next one is an old urban legend that's been floating around the diving community for years. Anyway, here it goes. Submarine is doing something, either war games or patrolling for Chinese slash Russian slash North Korean submarines. The story isn't terribly consistent about this. I hear it different every single time. For whatever reason, they are not using active sonar because they want to avoid detection, floating dead somewhere a couple hundred meters off the sea floor. They're just sitting there, chilling, and listening with their sensors, trying to detect enemy submarines or whatever, when they start hearing the noise. That bloop noise. Their sensors can't make any sense of it, and it's getting louder at an alarming rate starts out as something only the sensors can hear. But before long, the entire crew is hearing this strange, distorted, humming-slash-singing that people always associate with the carpet. Captain thinks the only explanation is that it's some sort of new sonar or jamming technology, and he orders the sonar crew to send out a ping to locate the source of the noise. This is the part of the story that always stays consistent. I assume because it's the most memorable. The sonar operator shouts out, New sonar contact bearing... Sir? What's our depth? The captain replies, 500 meters. The sonar operator replies, But sir, 
The sonar says that the sea floor is 10 meters below us. The captain says, that's nonsense, then walks over to the sonar station, checks the reading, then walks over to the helmsman and checks the depth, checks the nautical charts for where they are. Somehow, apparently, the ocean has gotten about 200 meters shallower. The captain orders another ping from the sonar to try and locate the source of the noise. Sonar operator speaks up again, concerned. Sir, the ocean is getting deeper again. Captain asks him to repeat himself. Ocean floor is once again at expected depth, sir. Captain takes a look for himself, and sure enough, they are no longer 10 meters above the ocean floor. There is also a very, very large dot on the screen that's now behind the submarine. Captain asks what the large contact is. Sonar operator says, Equipment malfunction, sir. Captain pings again, just out of curiosity. The equipment malfunction has maintained its shape and is continuing to move away from the submarine, and apparently taking the strange noise away with it as it fades and echoes out. At this point, another user in the thread responded to Diver Anon, saying, I just want to say that I believe you. There are definitely weird things happening deep in the ocean. My uncle is a deep sea diver and an alcoholic. Two years ago at a family get together, he's really drunk and I asked him about what his most interesting experience was. He said a few years ago, he and his company got contracted by the US Navy for a job. It was to inspect a section of the ocean floor in the Pacific, don't know exactly where, about a thousand feet deep. It was a survey only. It seemed weird since they have submersible drones, so why send people? But anyway, the Navy guy briefs them with charts of where to survey. Also, he makes sure to point out an area that's adjacent to the survey area that they are absolutely forbidden to go into. Well, that just piques my uncle's interest. The next day he's down there surveying the prescribed area when he just says fuck it and detours into the forbidden zone. He moves in about 500 feet when the unmistakable propeller and tail section of a big military submarine comes into view. He's curious but spooked and doesn't want to push his luck further and heads back to the survey area where they don't find anything remarkable at all. Afterwards, he checked and there's no reported missing submarines in the area, let alone a military one. I don't know what could have taken down the sub, for all I know, it could have crashed on its own or been sunk by an enemy. But my point is that there's definitely a lot of secrets down there that the government knows about and keeps from us. Users began responding to both Diver Anon and this new user, speculating about whether or not the black carpet could be capable of taking down a submarine. If it could take down a diver and really was as big as Diver Anon was reporting, then it certainly could be possible, right? Why would the military care about hiding it from us, though, the black carpet? Well, I think to answer that question, it would have to be why does the government care about hiding any cryptids, right? Like in almost every cryptid story we talk about, even going down to like like the infield horror, right? Yeah. A simple cryptid 
that only the local police are dealing with. It's like the local police seem to always want to decredit people, um, say that something isn't real, downplay a situation, tell everyone that this person's crazy and kind of ruin their reputation. And I think it all comes down to like control and safety. Just like we ask ourselves, why is the government not releasing, you know, UFO files or information on abductions and things like that? And skeptics will say, well, it's because none of it's real. And what is real is these top secret military operations that we don't want to reveal, like what we're capable of or what our location is in mm. some of these videos. But then other people say, but that doesn't make sense for every single video. They spent years and years and years saying that UFOs weren't real at all. And then all of a sudden, a couple of years ago, we're like, okay, they are real. Yeah. So why did it take so long? Like, what is the point of hiding anything from anyone? Because I think we're stupid. But I think that, I don't know, for some reason, this magic carpet, black carpet, whatever it's called, it doesn't seem like it would cause as much pandemonium as like the fucking Einhill horror that's like coming and knocking on your door. Maybe because it's so far and so remote and it's like unlikely that any of us would ever come into contact with it. But maybe the military knows something that we don't know. Maybe the thing can mobilize and block out the sun and kill us all. I don't know. Well, let's see what Diver Anon has to say. Diver Anon then returned with another story, saying, Last story for now. I'll see if I can dig up some more later. This is from the old guy I talked about earlier. Nice guy, marine biologist, who has done both deep sea welds and nature research slash studies, with remotely operated vehicles, or ROVs. Apparently, the carpet ate one of his ROVs on an expedition. According to him, it happened late one night while the rest of his crew was sleeping. He was pulling an all-nighter, studying the sea life around volcanic vents. He's moving the ROV from one vent area to the next when he sees what he describes as churning sediments on the seafloor a giant moving cloud of underwater dust, essentially moving towards the ROV. He moves in closer and sees what he describes as a colossal echinoderm crawling along the seafloor with long dexterous filaments probing the seafloor ahead of it. He maneuvers the ROV in for a closer look and uses the arm to prod at one of the filaments. In the blink of an eye, he lost contact with the ROV. Apparently, it happened so fast he didn't even really see it happen. One second, the thing was about five meters away from the vehicle. The next second, it had swallowed the vehicle whole. His excuse for not having footage was that the footage was all recorded and stored on the ROV itself, rather than being recorded on the operating station. He was, however, very confident in himself to the extent that he claims that he is the discoverer of this new species. He even gave it a name, which I completely forgot because it was so stupid and boring. <laughs> Giant sea carpet sounds cooler anyway. A user responded to Diver Anon saying, well, if it's similar to a jellyfish like you say, and is actually a colony of microorganisms, then it could be a relative of the Portuguese man of war. Diver Anon responded saying, the way I've heard it described, it shares more similarities with a starfish or a sea anemone than a jellyfish. Yeah, it sounds like a starfish because I've seen like big colonies of starfish and they're all moving together and it looks like a giant organism and they kind of like creep along the floor like that and they dissolve shit. 
I just had to interject because I can't um, be quiet yeah. and uh, this pay attention this long in a row. So now I'm fully recharged and you can continue. Okay. <laughs> so the marine biologist guy who said he'd seen it had some interesting thoughts on what it was. His idea is that it's some sort of holdover or descendant from the very first invertebrate forms of life on Earth. He did a whole long talk about how coral is one of the oldest forms of life on the planet, and the reason why the ocean is the only place teeming with large invertebrate creatures is because that's where all life first evolved. In his mind, jellyfish and all other sea invertebrates probably evolved from this thing rather than vice versa. This giant sea carpet, or whatever, would have been one of those very first life forms to ever exist on Earth technically making it one of our ancient ancestors. It's a pretty cool theory, all things considered. A user responded saying, way, way back in the mid-1980s, I read in a book on cryptids that there was something called the hide. Apparently, it was a flattish thing with eyes along the rim about the size of a large cow hide, hence the name. From what I recall, the one observation was of such a creature rising up out of an underwater trench to absorb a shark who'd somehow become paralyzed by it. It was observed at some distance by a diver. Does any of that ring a bell to anyone? Supposedly took place somewhere off the Pacific coast of South America, I think. So Natalia, let's pause here for a minute. Have you ever heard of a cryptid known as the Hyde? No, but it sounds really cool. It's basically a carpet with eyes on it that like just comes and covers you in its cloth and gobbles you up. So according to cryptids.fandom.com, which is the <laughs> definitive and final uh, word on all things cryptid, El Cuero is an extremely dangerous South American lake monster having a hairless head and spine and a body that has the appearance of a cowhide, which has been splayed out to dry. El cuero, meaning the hide or leather, resembles a primitive stingray at most. It has wide pectoral fins and a long whip-like tail, absent of a barb. Its eyes are on stalks and its mouth is oh apparently God. extendable. Sounds terrifying. Like that of a sturgeon. Eyewitnesses have also reported seeing a series of razor-sharp claws along the fringes of El Cuero, which the creature uses to secure its prey. There have also been suggestions that it uses hunting knives taken from a previous prey as weapons against new victims. The size of El Cuero ranges from 2 to 5 feet across and approximately 65 pounds, although it may be distantly related to the family of freshwater stingrays, which inhabit South America. There are a few notable differences between South America's freshwater stingrays and El Cuero. El Cuero apparently hunts in the Chilean glacial lake Lacar, located in the Andes Mountains. South American natives constantly tell that El Cuero is a voracious predator, giving it the nickname Aquatic Tiger. The monster apparently surges out of this lake like a crocodile and overwhelms its prey, humans. It then uses its probes to puncture the skin and suck out the internal organs and ah. blood. There have been countless yet controversial attacks on humans. One story tells of a woman washing clothes by the lakeside as her baby slept nearby. 
According to her, the creature burst from the water like a crocodile and engulfed the baby. It then no. slipped into the water as quickly as it appeared. I hate it now. Fuck that thing. And here's an artist's rendition of El Cuero. I don't like that I ate a baby. I can't get over it. Do you want to describe this to our listeners? No, I'm mad at it now. Okay, whatever. It looks like a clam. A clam that's open mouth. And then on the edges of the clam are like a bunch of like snail eyes. And it's like open like it's getting ready to eat this guy and this guy is like trying to get away from it um yeah but instead of being a clam like a hard shell it's soft yes so if you guys want to look at this picture and follow along with us just a reminder that you can go to at let's get haunted and take a look at this artist's rendition but just like natalia described it's like a soft uh piece of leather or blanket that's coming out of the water with these snail eyes to envelop a human and drag it back into the water and eat it. So Diver Anon responded to the user who brought up El Cuero saying, I've heard some people who claim to have seen that thing or other similar things. A lot of stuff I've heard from other divers seems like they could be attributed to very rare and large siphonophores that live in the deep ocean. What you're talking about was described to me as some sort of pancake-shaped creature that would hide under the sand with a single small near-transparent tentacle floating upwards. A diver touched it, spasmed, and immediately the creature rose out of the sand to devour him. Don't touch strange shit in the ocean, people. Natalia, do you know what a siphonophore is? Um, no. Well, I'd like you to watch the first minute and 50 seconds of this YouTube video uploaded to the channel Natural World Facts entitled Siphonophores, Drifting Colonies of Life. Floating on the currents of the vast open ocean, a long translucent string looms into view. Drifting atop the waves on a gas-filled sack, the infamous Portuguese man of war trails its deadly tendrils 100 feet long through the water below. With its paralyzing tentacles and gelatinous body, it is often mistaken as a jellyfish. But although it appears to be a single organism, the Portuguese man of war is in fact a colony. It is a siphonophore, not one creature, but thousands of different microscopic animals joined together into one superorganism. Siphonophores are rare and peculiar creatures. They are cnidarians related to corals and anemones. But what are the creatures that make up these vast colonies? They're known as zooids, small multicellular organisms that filter feed by catching plankton in the water. Small, thin tentacles dangling beneath each feeding zooid help them to increase their surface area, allowing them to catch more prey. Individual zooids are tiny, often only a millimeter long, but when they come together, they can be found in immense sizes, with some able to grow to lengths of 40 meters. That makes them longer than the blue whale, which is often considered Earth's largest animal. So yeah, I guess I do know what that is. I just didn't know what the name for it was. Uh, a siphonosphere. Siphonophore. A siphonophore. It's very interesting. You know, this has nothing to do with that at all, but this is where my, uh, this is what I was thinking about, is that the ocean is literally 
aliens. Like, it's that's just what all of those creatures are. And I'm really happy that we have the ocean and all of its creatures because it helps humans to understand what life on other planets might look like if we weren't, you know, if oxygen or not oxygen, if we like weren't, I don't know, if our environment was different, you know? Yeah. No. And I think in the Ningen episode, we learned that whatever is down there, because of course there are species we haven't even discovered yet. The ocean is vast, right? Mm-hmm. What is it? We've only discovered like what? 20% of the ocean I or think something? it's like 69% is undiscovered. Something like that. Maybe for 20% now that I think of it. Right. Right. But whatever's down there is pretty fucked up looking because yeah. of how much pressure is down there. There's no sunlight. Yeah. It's cold. So every day we're discovering new, weird, fucking alien-looking creatures. And as the video we watched uh, explains, a siphonophore is a class of marine organism that, while appearing to be an individual, is actually, in fact, an organism made up of a colony of smaller multicellular units. So basically, imagine a person that's made up of a bunch of tiny individual people and you have a siphonophore. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get it. It's creepy. It's crazy. I get it. So the most well-known siphonophore, as we just heard in the video, is the Portuguese man war Yeah, I've seen those. And if you're wondering what it looks like, if you're a listener and you're not sure, picture like a really fucking scary looking jellyfish. It looks like a condom. Like if you see it washed <laughs> up on the beach, it looks like a condom that's been blown up and then like kind of like stapled shut on one end. So it's like got some air. They, like, sort of float on the top of the water, I guess, and have, like, a bunch of tendrils down below. And they're just, like, super long and dangly. I think they kill you. Like, I think... They can, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was always told to, like, stay away from them. And when you're a kid, if you see one, you're like, that can kill you. Let's poke it with a stick. Yeah. (laughs) The thread then continued with commenters debating whether or not the black carpet could be some sort of undiscovered siphonophore living on the ocean floor. A day later, Diver Anon returned to the thread, writing, So I finally got a hold of that old biologist guy on the phone and talked to him about the sea carpet again. According to him, it is definitely not a siphonophore. He qualified that by saying that siphonophores are not fast or mobile. They survive by basically floating around, expending very little energy, and occasionally snagging a meal with the neurotoxin stinger tentacles. He talked for a while about what makes the carpet seemingly a biological impossibility. According to him, something of that size wouldn't get enough food slash energy to survive and keep up its levels of activity just from scavenging sediments on the seabed. Oh, so it has to come up. That's why we should be afraid of it. It has to come up and get us. And it has to be eating something to sustain it, right? Right. Siphonophores can get really, really huge because they sort of just sit around and let food come to them without any energy expenditure. So the profile of the carpet fits more with an active predator slash scavenger than a passive one. I mentioned to him that I'd heard stories about decomposing corpses of whales being seen by some people being digested by the carpet, and he got really excited about that. His working theory is that the carpet is an entirely unknown form of life, in the sense that it is a colony organism similar to a siphonophore. But the individual cells are much more complex and capable than those of a siphonophore. 
keep in mind that this is purely theoretical stuff he's pulling out of his ass to try and explain why something that should be physically and biologically impossible might exist. He studies siphonophores quite extensively, and one thing that remains a mystery is how the cells communicate, considering they have no central nervous system or brain to speak of. They're basically just really big bacteria. The key, apparently, is high-frequency vibrations. He hasn't been able to prove it yet because it's damn hard to get your hands on a siphonophore to study, but he thinks the individual cells vibrate to communicate with one another and pass a message along the entire organism. His theory is that the carpet is basically the siphonophore equivalent of a Russian nesting doll. Rather than being a colony of individual cells, it is a colony of individual multicellular siphonophores and is therefore the missing link between single-celled life and multicellular life. The bloop noise, which the carpet apparently makes, is actually millions of these creatures communicating in their own primitive language. Since siphonophores can reproduce asexually, he envisions the carpet as constantly evolving in size and shape depending on the environment and the amount of food it can consume. So perhaps after consuming the carcass of a very large creature, like a whale or a giant squid, it would be extremely large and have a large amount of cells, but would eventually shrink itself as it self-consumed unneeded cells. The multicellular structure of the carpet serves as a twofold purpose both serving as a distraction from, poten from potential predators, similar to a lizard losing its tail while running away, and a long-term storage of nutrients. Since big meals are few and far between at the bottom of the ocean, the carpet stores the energy it consumes by, by creating more cells and growing larger, which it will consume between meals whenever it needs energy. Not just that, but he's very convinced that the very first forms of life on Earth evolved in the deep ocean near volcanic vents, making the carpet the oldest existing form of life on the planet by far. He talked my ear off for a while, but I don't have much more interesting to tell you guys other than this for now. Though I feel that even though this is X and people come here to hear about supernatural stories and shit, this is just the hypothesis of one guy who apparently saw the carpet once. It's by no means the definitive truth, and this guy hasn't ever actually been able to perform a real scientific study on it. He just saw it once and is drawing conclusions from what little knowledge he has. After a ton of discussion in the thread amongst hundreds of users begging Diver Anon to continue with more information, Diver Anon returned with one final story. The next story is supposedly bonafide true taken from the journal of a now-deceased biologist. I haven't seen the pages of the journal myself, but I am working on getting them sent to me if possible. I'll share them with you if I ever manage to get my hands on them. For now, I've written down an abridged version that was told to me. So now the next thing I'm going to read reads like journal entries. Okay. Date unspecified. Just heard a sperm whale on the hydrophone. Very unusual for this area and time of year. Frequency a few hertz lower than normal. Possibly a new subspecies? Date unspecified. Pod is upset. Still hearing the sperm whale. Haven't seen Marv today. Hope the old guy's okay. Date unspecified. Pod remains agitated. 
second day in a row without a sighting of Marv's scarred old dorsal fin, starting to get worried. Date unspecified. Heard Marv on the hydrophone today. Good to know the old man's still out there and doing okay. Date unspecified. I keep hearing Marv on the hydrophone. He sounds distressed and the pod is still agitated. Date unspecified. If this keeps up much longer, I might dive and check up on him. Date unspecified. Pod is extremely agitated. Nudged me back to the surface when I tried to dive. I'm not sure if I should write this down. I feel like I'm losing my mind. What I saw couldn't have been real. Date unspecified. It's killing the salmon. It's not eating them. They just float to the surface to rot. They're refusing to eat the dead salmon. Won't be long before the pod starves. Date unspecified. That motherfucking singing started up again. Date unspecified. I guess I'm going to try to go down and deal with this thing. I don't think I'm crazy. I'm going to write down what happened on my last dive in case something goes wrong. I used the hydrophone to roughly triangulate where Marv's calls were coming from. Checked the depth, got my gear ready, and dove. The pod kept nudging me back to the surface, but I kept swimming down and eventually they stopped, circling me from a distance and making odd, mournful noises I'd never heard an orca make before. I pressed on, determined to find Marv and get to the bottom of what was happening. Poor bastard. After a certain depth, the pod gave up, trying to stop me, and circled from above instead, crying out in their own odd way. I reached the bottom, but couldn't spot Marv immediately. I could hear him, but I couldn't spot his location. It sounded like he was right next to me, even though I couldn't see him. I figured at the time that it was the channel walls bouncing the sound around and continued to search. Eventually, I found him. He was floating, immobilized, and trapped in some sort of strange, translucent substance. He seemed unresponsive, but I could still hear him. It seemed impossible that he could be alive after so long underwater, but he still seemed to be vocalizing. Took out my knife and tried to cut out what I assumed at the time to be degraded plastic packaging of some sort. The instant my hand made contact, Pain came ripping up my arm and pulsed through my entire body. I saw stars, and when I came to, I was floating, immobilized, right next to Marv. I tried moving, but I was completely paralyzed. I don't think I've ever been more scared in my life. Slowly, I felt the tendril that had wrapped around my arm begin to tug me downward. I frantically tried to turn my head and see what was below me, but I couldn't even move my eyes. It continued to tug me down at a snail's pace, turning my body with it. As the seafloor tilted into view, I realized that something was horribly wrong. The seafloor was writhing, the sediments shifting and pulsating. As my view tilted further downward, I saw what the filament was pulling me down towards. Protruding out of the mass of writhing sand, was what I can only describe as maybe a massive sea anemone of some sort, with bulbous protruding growths reaching up from the seafloor towards me. And inch by inch, I was being dragged towards it. I couldn't scream. I couldn't cry. I couldn't even close my eyes. 
all I could do was watch as this thing reeled me in like a fish. And the fucker took its time. Either it was slow or it liked its food well marinated in fear. I'm sure there's worse ways to die, but this is probably pretty high up there. I was pulled in, inch by inch, until it grasped me. I can still remember the sensation. Thousands of feelers pinching my arms and face, rough like sandpaper, pulling me further in. I still couldn't move, but inside my head I was screaming. The mass pulled me further in with a rippling motion, each pulse pulling me further and further down. I think I accepted that I was dead somewhere around the time my head was completely pulled into the mass. All I could hear was the rough rasping of the thing as it rubbed against my mask, pulling me deeper into itself. I'm not sure if I blacked out or went catatonic after that, but when I came to, I was floating freely in a cloud of murky sediment. All around me were the same bulbous, writhing feelers that had pulled me in, but disconnected and squirming alone, directionless. I took a second to orient myself and calm down, when something brushed past me in the water. If I wasn't still paralyzed, I would have shit myself. It came again, a massive dark silhouette shooting through the water just above the sea floor. In its wake, I could see thousands of strange bulbous feelers being pulled off the seabed. That's when I heard it, the familiar lovely call. It was Shay, and I quickly began to see several other familiar shapes as the rest of the pod joined her. They shot through the darkness like torpedoes, making an odd clicking vocalization that I've never heard before. Strange filaments like the one that had grabbed me and Marv trailed upwards from the mass, but the whales gracefully ducked between them and continued to skim the ocean floor, kicking up clouds of sediment and thousands of individual feelers. Eventually, I could feel the pod nudging me toward the surface again. They even gave me time to decompress before pushing me up to the surface. It took about an hour of sitting on the surface, with gently nudging and clicking and what I assume was concern before I finally regained enough mobility to climb back into my boat. I guess whatever was down there didn't really appreciate having its lunch stolen, so now it seems to be killing the salmon. I don't know what I'm gonna do yet, but I'll be damned if I let them starve. This was the last entry in the journal and the writer is apparently missing or deceased still trying to see if I can actually get my hands on the journal itself or maybe some pictures of it, but the owner is a very odd person and is being uncooperative at the moment. So this is just me writing down what I remember. I'm going to leave for a bit and maybe I'll come back with some more stories later. And that is the story of the black carpet. Natalia, what are your thoughts on, the, on this story? Okay, let me make sure that I'm understanding this correctly. So these are orca whales then, right? Yeah. Okay, they're orca whales. This guy's a marine biologist. He's stationed somewhere where he dives every day to just sort of like check out this pod of orcas and, and see what they're doing and study them. Then he realizes that one of the orcas in this pod has been giving out a distress signal and then it goes missing for a few days and then it sounds distressed again. So he's like, okay, I need to just go figure out what's going on. So he tries to go dive down there. And when he's trying to dive down there, the 
pod of orca whales try to prevent him from diving down. Right. Right. And then he's like, okay, this is weird. So he continues diving down and he finds the orca whale that was distressed is paralyzed but still making noise but unable to move and sort of encased in some sort of unknown fluid or something. So he gets his knife out to try to cut this orca whale that's distressed out of the material. But when he reaches out, the material shocks him and paralyzes him and begins pulling him down towards the seafloor. And he gets swallowed up essentially by this giant moving black carpet yes and he thinks he's gonna die and he blacks out and then he wakes up and he's floating freely and he sees that the rest of the pod actually saved his life um and then he sees around him like a bunch of like floating smaller components of this really large crawling carpet thing yes and so He's can we can deduce from that that this carpet is made up of a bunch of smaller organisms that all come together, or perhaps it's made up of smaller components or something that all come together to work as one. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. No, you've yeah. you've summed it up. Exactly. And I so I Googled, has an orca ever saved a human? And there's like a shit ton of articles. So there have been examples where orcas have saved humans from tiger sharks. There's one where a marine biologist named Non Hauser was lifted up out of the water by the 22-ton whale's head to save her from a 15-foot tiger shark. The whale then shielded Non underneath his pectoral fin and pushed her through the water to safety as another whale warded off the shark with its tail. So it does seem like there have been documented moments in history where orcas do nudge humans away from danger. So that's, it is possible. Yeah, that that's the hardest part of the story for me to get behind is like this man. I mean, I can understand humans have relationships with animals that happens and, you know, maybe they trusted him as like part of their pod or something like that, whatever. Uh, yeah, it's just, I don't know why, just for some reason, that's the part that feels hardest for me to get behind is like these orca whales. I don't know. Well, we can think of like other examples that are more Because they well also known. fucking kill people. They also yeah. are like, hey, I see all of you guys watching me do these flips and shit. Now watch this. I'm going to fucking pin this person that I've known for 30 years down to the ground and watch that watch you guys all scream in horror as they drown and then i'm gonna bring their lifeless body back up to the shore and throw it up in the air like a fucking soccer ball and boop it out into the crowd (laughs) and they they're already dead but their neck's gonna break on the stadium stairs as children scream and cry yeah well i would also say there's monkeys that have like ripped off people's faces right but then there's jane goodall who lived amongst the gorillas and the monkeys and observed them for years and years and was basically accepted as like a member of the pack or whatever you want to call a group of monkeys a group of gorillas so i definitely think in general like with any animal there's always the potential that it can kill you at any moment like big dogs too 
There's examples of like, you know, I read something in the news the other day where a pit bull just killed a lady. Yeah, my dog will fucking kill me for fun, I feel like. Yeah, exactly. Archer could kill somebody, but he chooses not to. So I think that there are like lots of examples of animals killing people, but then there's also examples of animals helping people. Now, whether or not they're helping because that's actually what their intention is or is it coincidental I don't know. I have no idea. But also, this story is just being regurgitated by a guy online, right? He says he doesn't have the book. He, like, had someone explain it to him. And maybe he's bullshitting. Who knows? But he said that he had someone explain to him what they saw in this journal. And then he's, like, compiling what he remembers into a chronological order that he thinks others will be able to follow, That makes sense. I just want to say this is not an invitation for anyone to send me articles about times animals have helped people. I really don't give a fuck, guys. It's okay. (laughs) Part three, the black diver. On Friday, June 12th, 2020, Diver Anon returned with a new post. Diver Anon writes, Diver Anon again, back with some more stories from my colleagues and friends around the world. Please sit around the campfire and enjoy a good old-fashioned thread. They don't make them like they used to. Have you heard of the raptures of the deep? Few people have. 30 meters below the surface, water pressure alters the properties of gases within the human body. What was once harmless or vital begins to poison your mind. The deeper the depth, the deadlier the poison becomes. Symptoms include impairment, euphoria, laughter, anxiety, hallucinations, hysteria, terror, and death. And yet, we still venture into these depths, risking our lives in our minds, delving into a place where the barrier between the mind and the reality becomes thin. Those of us who return can bring with us only the memories of that alien world beneath the waves. These are some of those memories. Tales from Beyond the Depths of Madness. I'm going to begin tonight with one of my own stories that I haven't told yet. We're also going to try and investigate the phenomenon that I witnessed, which has been corroborated and seen by many other commercial and hobby divers. If you've been diving a lot or spend a lot of time around divers, you might have already guessed what I'm going to talk about. Black divers one of the most persistent and unnerving legends that has plagued diving since the time of giant metal bell helmets. We'll dig into possible causes and explanations for this phenomena after I've written up my own encounter with them. This theory comes from early in my time as a commercial diver on the Hibernia rig. The rig is the biggest in the world and is absolutely massive. Basically, a small city jutting out from the sea floor. The entire thing is on top of a massive concrete platform, settled on the bottom of the ocean, also used to store barrels of crude oil. Back when I was doing this, safety regulations were very important. Unlike most of my other jobs, where I mostly inspect and repair the integrity of structures themselves, I was checking the oil storage to ensure it was safe, secure, and not leaking out of containment. It was good work, steady work, inspecting the site nearly every day, and it paid well. Usually, I worked with a group of two other divers. The day this happened was like pretty much any other. 
the weather was shit, the onboard chef's omelet was delicious, and the rig workers were assholes. Nothing new. Began the dive, reached my target, and began the inspection of lids, seams, etc. And taking water samples as well to ensure no minute particulate leakage. After a few minutes, I get a feeling on the back of my neck that I'm being watched. I turn around to see one of my partners floating a distance away from me, watching me work. I wave at him and give the okay hand signal to signify that I am okay, and he returned it. I wasn't sure why he was watching me instead of doing his own work, but I really didn't give much of a shit to be honest with you. I had a feeling in my gut, though, that something wasn't right. I molded over in my mind while I worked. Something about him had seemed off, but I had no idea what it was. So I turned around again after a bit, and sure enough, he was still there, floating, watching me. I waved to him and made the okay hand signal, and again, he returned it. Something about the way he did it made me feel disgusted and repulsed. The fingers just looked wrong, if that makes any sense. I don't remember enough detail to describe exactly how they moved incorrectly, but I felt a distinct uncanny valley level of repulsion upon seeing it. I was looking at something very, very wrong. My gut instinct was screaming at me that this guy was dangerous. That's when I realized what had actually been bugging me initially. The guy didn't have any bubbles coming out of his regulator. Oh shit, this guy has a regulator. My diving partner has a rebreather, which is different. This isn't my diving partner. Wait, oh shit, how the fuck can this guy be giving off zero bubbles without a rebreather? Here's where I need to explain a bit of technical stuff for the non-initiated. Regulators are those typical scuba masks you see. You breathe in air through them and exhale into the sea. Rebreathers are much bulkier, and they recycle the air you're exhaling and reuse it so that you get more bang for your buck. Better for a longer and deeper dive than a regulator. Regulators make bubbles, rebreathers don't. Like I said, all our guys on the rig use rebreathers. It was company policy, and it was just full stop the best option. This diver was clearly using a regulator. And on top of that, he wasn't making any bubbles, which is just screaming all kinds of wrong. I stare at him for a few seconds as he just floats there, staring back at me through the gloomy water. My stupid search and rescue slash recovery instincts kick in, and I assume that this diver is having an emergency malfunction with his rebreather and cannot breathe and is possibly already unconscious or maybe even dead. So I try and stuff down the blaring warning signs in my gut and swim over to him as quickly as I can. The warning signs in my gut get worse the closer I get. There's just something about this guy that is wrong somehow. I can't describe it in any other way other than that I knew instinctively that he should not exist, that he was wrong. My gut finally got the better of me just as I reached to pull off his broken regulator so that we could share my rebreather on our way up. I stopped my hand a few inches away from his mask. 
and I felt an intense jolt of fear staring down into his mask. There was nothing behind his mask. It was completely empty. No eyes, no face, no skull, no corpse, nothing. Just empty blackness. An empty scuba suit. I reached out with my hand and touched the top of his head. His wetsuit hood squished inwards as I pushed, deforming the shape of his head. That's when it moved. The thing turned its mask up towards my face, raising its hand and making the okay sign again. My body was in full fight or flight mode at this point, and though I'm no pussy, spooky phantom divers are pretty far past my limits of what I'm willing to fight. So I swam the fuck away, putting a decent distance between us before I dared to look back. When I turned to look, I saw the diver floating backwards into the current, leaking black oil or blood or something from his mask, arms, and legs. It wasn't long before he was hidden entirely behind a black cloud vanishing into the murky sea. I went back up to the surface as quickly as humanly possible, assuming that I had a bad mix of gas or a malfunctioning rebreather causing narcosis. The maintenance crews never found anything wrong with my gear, though I guess that doesn't rule out the possibility of narcosis hallucinations. So as promised, a bit of analysis or insight into this particular phenomenon. There's a couple different names for them. Phantom divers, ghost divers, or black divers, after the name of the color of their suit. The stories aren't all the same. There are two basic types of phantom diver encounters. The ones with a body, and the ones without. Some people report seeing a corpse or skeleton face behind the mask. Others saw what I saw, which is a seemingly empty black void with nothing inside except water. The common thread shared through most stories is the lack of bubbles and the black blood or mist emitted by the phantom diver. Not all stories have the black mist, but the majority do. There's a couple possibilities for this. It could be an actual supernatural phenomenon. Weird shit happens in the ocean. Divers die all the time. Could the ocean have some sort of property that traps the souls of those who die there? dooming them to float aimlessly on currents as ghostly phantoms? I won't outright rule it out because weird shit happens in the ocean. I've seen stuff that defies explanation time and time again. It could also be what I like to call a mind virus. You see a lot of it amongst the DMT and psychedelic community. The drugs are a window into your subconscious thought process. So if you go in with certain expectations or knowledge, even if you don't realize you are, it will affect your experience. It's possible that people see phantom divers because they've heard stories about them, and it's something their subconscious mind jumps to when it experiences narcosis hallucinations, which would mean that by spreading these stories, I am in fact contributing to the spread of this idea in a way. Natalia, what do you think of this story? I like this story a lot. I think, um... The idea of there being phantom divers in the ocean is so scary because the ocean is already really terrifying, especially deep down. 
I'm thinking though, in this particular story, he was saying that he was down there with a diving buddy, right? Right. And then he looks back and his, he notices that his diving buddy's being kind of giving him weird vibes, but he's like, whatever, I'm just trying to make money. Who cares? Yeah. And then he like looks back and he gives the okay symbol and the diver gives the okay symbol. But his okay symbol is like kind of fucked up and he's like, this is really weird. Again, I'm just trying to make money, so I don't really care that much, but I do feel weird. And then he's like, thinks about it and he's like, actually, I think my diving buddy had a different mouthpiece, which doesn't make sense because this diver has the mouthpiece where he needs to be exhaling bubbles up to the surface in order for him to be breathing and surviving down here. So that must, that this guy must need my help then. And then he gets closer and he realizes that it's just, yeah, like an empty shell of a person. And then it kind of like fades away into the depths of the sea as he swims away. And he gives one last look and sees that there's some sort of black ooze coming out of him. I think it's a very good story. It gives me the creeps. It gives me the chills. It does too. But from a technical standpoint, I don't think that it's just a ghost because this particular ghost equipment was different than his buddies. So maybe it's a ghost of someone else. I don't know. But what happened to his original buddy? He doesn't ever say, but we assume that because he never says anything was wrong with his buddy, that his buddy just must have continued working down there somewhere. Right. So this was just a random. Yeah. I mean, it could like just be stone tape theory, except, you know, in the ocean where like, or it could be this, this ooze is animating this thing, you know, and, and just trying to communicate with him, trying to lure him somewhere. I don't know. I don't know, but it's, yeah, it's pretty fucking crazy, right? Like, my mind is also spinning in a million different directions. Like, what mm-hmm. could it be? And that's what brings us to part four, the theories. So in today's episode, we covered the bloop, the black carpet, and the black diver, or the phantom diver. The bloop has three theories. It's either a natural phenomenon, such as an ice quake or ice breaking off of a glacier. Theory two... It's a human-made phenomenon, such as a type of sonar or sonic weapon. Or theory three, it is a large, undiscovered sea creature living at the bottom of the ocean, possibly the black carpet. Then, the black carpet has four theories. Theory one, it's made up. It's just a tall tale that sailors tell each other to creep each other out on the seas. Theory number two, it's some type of sea coral that moves around on the bottom of the floor. Theory three, it's a siphonophore, or an organism made up of a lot of little organisms, like a Portuguese man-o'-war. Or theory number four, which comes from Reddit user u slash habfan123, who writes the following in r slash cryptozoology. The black carpet. Legend goes that divers hunting on the seafloor encounter this huge black creature that is completely flat that then rises up and envelops the diver and suffocates them to death by burying them underneath its weight. The true story here is that underwater lava flows can push Earth up into a tall, freestanding pillar of mud, tar, and rock that then collapses under its own weight. In the darkness of water, it can seem like a creature is arising from the sand and attacking, when in reality, it's something much scarier gravity. 
So in this theory, the black carpet is actually just a product of underwater lava flows or volcanic activity that pushes up a bunch of sediment off the ocean floor, whatever's on the ocean floor, rocks, sediment, sand, bullshit. And then it's so heavy that it comes back down over the person that's diving near it. And it sort of makes the person feel like they're being swallowed or enveloped by something. And they can die and drown if they can't get out from underneath all of this stuff that's been blown up. That's scary. Yeah, it's like fall, like nuclear fallout, except at the ocean floor. Right. It's just like the like Pompeii, the explosion yeah. of Pompeii, but at the bottom of the ocean floor. Yeah, just a bunch of debris raining down on you. And imagine like you can't see very well at the bottom of the ocean anyway. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden it's just like total darkness around you and you can feel things like kind of hitting you as they go past. And then as the things fall back down because they're heavier than the water, mm -hmm. they just crush you. Right. So it kind of gives us some new insight into this story of this marine biologist who thinks he's being sucked down yeah. by some sort of creature. Maybe he was just caught in one of these underwater lava flows and was like hallucinating because he had the bends or whatever it's called yeah now speaking of the bins the black diver also has three theories the first one like you said is something called nitrogen narcosis according to the article nitrogen narcosis and diving written by authors patrick j kirkland dana matthew pranav modi and jeffrey s cooper Nitrogen narcosis is a change in consciousness, neuromuscular function, and behavior brought on by breathing compressed inert gases. It has also been called depth intoxication, narcs, and rapture of the deep. Traditionally, the gas involved in narcosis is nitrogen, and it is associated with dysfunction when breathed by scuba divers from their tanks containing compressed air. The effects of nitrogen narcosis are highly variable among divers, with all divers being significantly impaired while breathing air at 60 to 70 meters, whereas some divers are affected as high as 30 meters. The effects are not progressive with time while depth is maintained, but symptoms do progress and new symptoms develop as a diver descends deeper to greater pressures. The narcotic symptoms observed are quickly reversible upon ascent. The symptoms seen in narcosis begin first with effects of the higher function, such as judgment, reasoning, short-term memory, and concentration. The diver may also experience a euphoric or stimulating feeling initially similar to mild alcohol intoxication. Further increases in the partial pressure of nitrogen in the blood from descending deeper lend to impairments in manual dexterity and further mental decline including idea fixation, hallucinations, and finally, stupor and coma. Death can result from unconsciousness associated with severe narcosis or from severely impaired judgment leading to an accident of some form during the dive. Treatment of narcosis involves early recognition of symptoms by the diver or the diver's partner while at a depth. Symptoms resolve completely within minutes upon ascent of the diver. If the symptoms persist, the dive should be aborted. In the export of 4chan under the thread we read from Diver Anon, another diver responded in the thread writing, Honestly, this sounds like nitrogen narcosis to me. Once, I was on a commercial dive for my company when I got it. I thought I saw my dead father floating in front of my face trying to speak to me. 
Wow. I couldn't make out anything that he was saying, but I was so sure it was him. It seemed so real. It took everything in my body to not swim towards him. Narcosis is scary stuff. I've heard stories of hobby divers getting confused from it and swimming down instead of up until they run out of oxygen and drown. Another user responded, A buddy of mine got narcosis when we were out diving, fairly deep. I figured it out because he asked me what I thought about the boat we just swam past. I turned, confused, because we were extremely far from the surface, and asked, What boat? Then it clicked. I grabbed his hand and ascended with him until he wasn't loopy anymore. Another user chimed in, saying, My favorite narcosis story happened to my wife when we were diving with an instructor and some friends in Cozumel. On the first dive one morning, we were told to limit our maximum depth to 90 feet. A few minutes into the dive, I checked my gauge, and I was at 90 feet. I turned to look for my wife, who was my diving buddy, only to discover that she was way below me. Now this is the woman who was scared of heights and depths. She wasn't paying any attention to any of us. The other wife had seen her fall behind me and descend, so she went down, nudged her, and signaled her to go back up beside me. Later we asked her, what were you doing? She said, I was determined to find some of those little creatures that Beverly is always finding. Nice, except that our instructor was recording the whole thing on video, and the video revealed that my wife was staring intently at and swimming towards a big patch of nothing. Another user responded saying, One of my regular buddies lost one of his friends in a motorcycle accident. The day after his friend's funeral, he went out diving on a wreck, sitting at about 30 meters. As he saw the wreck emerging out of the gloom, he looked over and saw the friend he had buried the day before, standing on the deck of the wreck, waving at him, smiling. Understandably, he was quite put off by this, so he ascended to a shallower depth and felt his head clear, and then decided to go back down once again. But when he went back down, there was his friend again, standing on the deck of the wreck in the gloom, smiling, slowly waving at him, beckoning him towards him. Understandably, he realized he was suffering from a touch of narcosis and aborted the dive. Natalia, what do you think of this? Those are crazy. I mean, it's just crazy to me because in our episode we did on Mount Everest, we talked about how people will get, uh, I can't remember what it was called, but basically from the lack of oxygen, they'll get very similar side effects that these people are experiencing with this nitrogen narcosis. And it just makes me think like humans were not supposed to go up and we're not supposed to go down. And why? Like what? What are we not supposed to be seeing down there? What are we not supposed to be seeing up there? Perhaps why? the black carpet. Yeah. Like why did God, a.k.a. the algorithm, like try to put a proxy on us so that we can only be in this habitable range? Perhaps we can survive way up there and way down there but they just don't want us to know what's there so they just put these limits on our physical bodies maybe we need to take dmt unlock a <laughs> section of our brain that is able to survive at those altitudes or depths and then try it again yeah I'm has down. anyone done dmt on mount everest send us a comment on the <laughs> photo dump <laughs> theory number two of the phantom diver or the black diver a mimic octopus this theory again comes from Reddit user u slash habfan123, who wrote the following in r slash cryptozoology. 
Deep sea divers and those who work underwater encounter a free floating diver who sometimes even waves at them. However, the motions of this mysterious figure often give it away as it seems to move with the current and move without kicking its flippers. When divers approach, they often assume it is someone in need of help due to not returning hand signals, and the lack of movement apparently mimics how someone with oxygen deprivation or the bins would act. The figure quickly shapeshifts into a large black octopus that then either inks at them or jets away. While there are no mimic octopi that have been discovered at that size, it is possible an octopus of such size is able to camouflage and shapeshift and the intelligence of many octopi make it possible that one may mimic humans if it could. Natalia, have you ever heard of a mimic octopus? No, but I can guess what it is, yeah. right? Yeah. It's like, uh, so there's lots of different mollusks, I guess you would call them, that can kind of camouflage themselves by changing patterns on their their skin. Like cuttlefish can do it, an octopus can do it, or octopi, I guess, can do it. Um, so I'm wondering if this particular octopus will camouflage themselves as whatever they're seeing, like a, a mirror, like mimic. Yeah. I'm picturing like a big giant squid or a giant octopus, and then one of his little tendrils has like a finger puppet on it that's like that diver guy. Yeah. The, the ghost diver. Yeah. And he's like trying to beckon the, his friend to come closer so he can eat him. And then the friend is like, no, and like swims away. And then it pulls itself back in and it kind of inks because it's like embarrassed. Yeah. Or maybe it's just trying to squirt itself away. So a mimic octopus is actually a smaller octopus. It's not large at all. Um, it grows up to a total length of only two feet, including its arms, with a diameter approximately that of a pencil at its widest. Small horns protrude from each eye. Its natural color is light brown or beige, but it usually takes on a more noticeable hue of striped white and brown to scare off predators by imitating poisonous species and vicious territorial sea creatures. Its ability to change shape is the reason it was named the Mimic Octopus, which is its main defense besides camouflage. This octopus was first discovered off the coast of Indonesia in 1998 at the bottom of a muddy river mouth. It has since been found to inhabit the Indo-Pacific, ranging from the Red Sea in the west to New Caledonia in the east, and Gulf of Thailand in the Philippines in the north, to the Great Barrier Reef in the south. Most documented records are from Indonesia. It is primarily found in areas with sand or silt at depths of less than 49 feet. So I'm going to show you a quick video of a mimic octopus unknown until it was spotted first by fishermen off the coast of Indonesia in the 1990s. It looked like an octopus, but it could morph its shape in an instant to appear as seemingly any animal around it. At first, no one had any idea what it was. The first time I saw it, I just was blown away. You couldn't get a more spectacular animal. It really is the pinnacle of wizardry. Biologist Mark Norman was the first scientist to study this seemingly shapeless creature. He named it the Mimic Octopus. The Mimic Octopus makes itself look like a living, moving animal. So it pulls all its arms around behind its body and swims along like a poisonous flatfish called a banded sole. In other cases, if it's getting attacked, it puts six arms down a hole and raises the other two arms to look like a poisonous sea snake that has bands along its body. 
that's not enough, it'll swim along looking like a poisonous lionfish with these banded arms looking like the banded spines that come off these very deadly fish. So far, 15 separate species are known to be in the mimic octopus act, and Norman is not always sure exactly what the mimic is doing. He observed this mimic scuttling along the sea bottom, looking something like a furry turkey with human legs. Sometimes it's hard when you watch a mimic octopus doing what it does to interpret what's going on. It's a bit like looking at ink spots in a psychiatrist's office going, uh, I don't know what that is, it could be a piano, it could be a fridge. So you get three or four divers together and you'll argue all night trying to work out what we think it was mimicking. Where did nature's greatest actor come from? That has been the coolest thing that I think I've ever seen on this podcast. That was crazy. You guys have to check out these videos. We'll put them up on the Instagram, at Let's Get Haunted. This octopus is like, it's, it, I, it, I can't even explain what it's doing. It's like, the thing that tripped me out was it, it stood itself up to look like a triangle or something. I don't know. This thing is doing fucking crazy shit. It looks like Squidward when he's dancing, like yeah. weird. You know? Oh my god, totally. Yeah. Anyways, that was crazy. So they think that's what the magic carpet is? So, like I said, all mimic octopuses are currently cat that are currently cataloged are very small, as I mentioned, about two feet long, whereas an adult human in flippers and scuba gear would likely appear between five and six feet long if we're counting the flippers. The largest octopus currently cataloged is the giant Pacific octopus, which averages around 33 pounds, with the largest ever recorded being 156 pounds and their arms can stretch up to 14 to 20 feet. While the giant Pacific octopus does have the ability to camouflage itself, it does not have the ability to mimic other species like the mimic octopus. But as we saw in that video, even though the mimic octopi that we have cataloged are very small, sometimes they're mimicking creatures that we literally have no idea what these creatures are. Yeah, and it was really weird because like, it looked like it was expanding. I'm sure it's just a trick with colors and stuff like that. Um, but it looked like it was growing. Yeah. So I wonder, I wonder if it could mimic a person. Just like it tricks us with some sort of uh, weird illusion with its skin, like you know, and makes itself look bigger than it is. I don't know. No, that's a great hypothesis because. The mimic octopus can only mimic things that it's seeing, mm -hmm. right? So it's learned, I can mimic this sea snake and then shit won't fuck with me. I can mimic this lionfish and then shit won't fuck with me. So what if it learned that it could mimic a diver, a diver so that shit won't fuck with it, including mm -hmm. people maybe? Right, yeah. So could it be possible, proponents of this theory say, could it be possible that a large mimic octopus exists somewhere at the bottom of the sea that has developed the ability to mimic divers or instead of an octopus could it be part of the black carpet imitating a diver to draw food into its mouth the third and final theory for what the black diver could be is something that i'm gonna have to cover in episode 109 because it is so crazy it's such a good story that it deserves its own episode so let's ignore that one for now if you guys are interested come back for episode 109 where i'm going to cover a different sea cryptid that some people think could be related to this black diver phenomena and could be related to this black carpet phenomena but natalia 
I am very interested to hear your final thoughts on the topics that we have covered today. And I'll start by asking you, what do you think the bloop is? Do you think it's related to the black carpet or do you think it's not? I I mean, I think that it's related. I don't know. I think it could be related to the black carpet. It makes sense. It, like everything that they were saying about it sounding organic makes sense to me. When I first found out that it happened near the south, you know, near Antarctica or whatever, immediately in my paranormal brain, I was like, oh, that's the Nazis in Antarctica. They've tunneled over there and they finally did it. They (laughs) succeeded in whatever they were trying to do. And we're hearing their, you know, Oktoberfest, like trumpets or whatever. You know, what are those machines? It's like an accordion. Yeah, an accordion. Yeah, we're hearing like their accordion under under the water or something so it's mixed with a bunch of other like random alien technology that they've created um if you guys don't know what natalia is talking about you can search let's get haunted nazis in antarctica and in that episode you can hear all about how the nazis thought that in antarctica they would find an underground race of perfect humans known as the vril mm-hmm. who had uh harnessed alien alien technology and we're going to share it with them and they wanted to make some, you know, base on Antarctica. It was like a secret base where they were going to go underground and get all this alien technology, whatever. Um, so could be that. But I really like this <laughs> black carpet idea because I don't think it's that far fetched that there could be a giant organism comprised of several organisms, much like a, uh, a coral reef. In the ocean, because I think the ocean, like like I said earlier, is crazy, and there's crazy shit that happens down there. And even the skeptic theories of like, oh no, it's just a lava tube that blows up a pillar of sediment, and then the sediment falls back down and rains on you. Like my brain doesn't comprehend things like that because I'm like, it doesn't rain underwater, <laughs> you know? It doesn't make sense, but I get it. So I I think that the bloop could definitely be the black carpet because. They're like 5,000 miles apart or something like that. So. Three 3,000 miles apart. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's fucking it's, a long it, way away. I agree. And also, it seems like if we believe Diver Anon, who has compiled, who's very graciously either made up this awesome <laughs> story or compiled a bunch of different stories, although people were responding saying like, hey, I'm a diver or hey, I, my uncle's a diver. And yeah, mm-hmm. like he told me this crazy story. It seems like amongst marine biologists and commercial divers and hobby divers, the these stories are like pretty consistent. Yeah. Um, and Diver Anon says, well, it could be like when people trip on DMT, a lot of people report seeing like a lizard person. Right. So yeah. it could just be like an earworm where like somebody has said something so often and it's so popular in pop culture that when someone takes that drug, they're already expecting to see that. So, of course, they see that they manifest it. Right. So yeah. he's saying, well, it could be that once you get narcosis, mm-hmm. you're already manifesting the black carpet or the black diver because that's what you're expecting to see. Luckily, I have taken DMT before and I knew about the elves and I did not see the elves. Uh, I did not have that experience at all. So I'm calling bullshit on that because you can be exposed to something and even really want to see that thing <laughs> and ingest whatever toxic chemicals, you know, you need to take in order to see those things and still not see those things. Right. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I get what that person's saying. They're like, oh, it's like if you say this place is haunted, then people go in there and they're expecting to see ghosts or creepy right. things. And then creepy things happen to them because they're expecting it. I understand what he's saying. I'm just saying he used the wrong analogy. Uh, he used the wrong analogy. And it was very easy for me to rip Debunk. it apart. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so try harder next time. And like you talked about earlier with aliens, a lot of people think aliens do originate from our oceans, which we've talked about before, mm. that they're are videos of unidentified submerged objects flying out of our oceans or descending into our oceans so i mean could the black carpet and the black diver could these be like some sort of alien life form and that's why the government wants to keep us away from them and wants to deny their existence wow i don't know but you guys are gonna have to tune in for episode 109 for the final piece of this puzzle yeah, I mean, you're really leaving them hanging here. Yeah. It's a real dick move. But it's not a part one and part two because this episode 109 is on a completely separate topic that I just think ties into this one. It's my own hypothesis. This is a very, very interesting episode. I have lots of lots of questions. And um, yeah, I, I mean, what do you guys think? Sound off in the comments. Let us know what you think it could be. And, and be specific. Let me know what you think that sound sounds like. Because to me, I think it, it sounds organic, but it also has like an underlying track of like a carnival. Yeah. You know? Oh, for me, when I listened to it, I was like, this is the sound that you hear in a horror movie when mm -hmm. someone's underground and like Freddy Krueger is clanging his weird knife yeah. hands against the side of a pipe. Yeah. 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 Okay, I'm going to read the sources for this episode before I ask for your sign-off. My sources for this episode were every single YouTube video that I already cited within the episode. Also, an article posted to thediplomat.com entitled U.S. Navy Upgrading Undersea Subdetecting Sensor Network by Stephen Stashwick. AmericanHistory.si.edu's Timeline on the Cold War for the National Museum of American History. The Wikipedia article on The Bloop. YouTube video with the audio of the bloop comes from user bloop channel in a video entitled the bloop an unexplained phenomenon actual sound on May 30th 2009. Then of course 4chan including 4chan threads archived on archive.4plebs.org, forum.agoraroad.com, cryptids.fandom.com, the article Nitrogen Narcosis in Diving, written by authors Patrick J. Kirkland, Dana Matthew, Pranav Modi, and Jeffrey S. Cooper. YouTube video Most Intelligent Mimic Octopus in the World, uploaded November 4th, 2010 by Full Canal. And now we get to part five, Natalia's sign-off. Hmm, I have to think about this. Um, BRB gonna go deep sea diving with a pod of orca whales as my only form of defense bye, bye.